0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you know, this is episode 321 of Inappropriate Earl. And when I started this podcast, I wanted to interview people that meant a lot to me as a child, whether it be actors, comics, musicians. As you guys know, I grew up in Los Angeles and I didn't grow up a King fan because the King games were not on television. Uh, this is 1979, 1980, but the Ranger games were, I got their cable channel W O R and I became obsessed with two hockey players. One being the great Barry Bubba Beck, because he was bigger than everyone and he had an Afro. And, uh, the second player was his defensive partner and longtime nemesis, uh, I now present to you, I might quit the podcast after this interview. The one, the only, (laughs) Ed David Hospodar, otherwise known as Boxcar Hospodar.
1: Well, hello, hello, everybody. So Uh, happy to be on. I have been avoiding many a podcast, many a radio show. um, And had a moment of reckoning and said after Jimmy Fox had told me you were going to call, I'll go on. Jimmy's been good to me and a good friend of him then, or I don't know if I can call you a good friend of Jim Fox Earl, but as jokingly goes, but
0: well done. I'm not going to lie to you. We've never met before me and Mr. Fox, but I reached out to him Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a famous comic, but I guess I'm well known. And uh, yeah, after the Tom Wilson incident uh, last week, I jokingly tweeted, hey, Jim Fox, can you get me Ed Hospodar's number? I think the Rangers should sign him for Wednesday's game. Um, So I'd like to start off with that, even though I know you had nothing to do with the incident. um, It's going to dovetail into an incident you did have something to do with. But uh, your thoughts on Tom Wilson. Personally, I thought he should have been suspended. But you play the game and you certainly played in the roughest era. What do you think should have been the scenario there?
1: Well, you know, the games has changed from the way the It was back in the 70s and 80s. We'll say that much. Uh, And to the Rangers fault, when something like this happened, I guess you still need to maybe have those enforcer types out there. And from what I'm led to believe is this um, Tom Webster is pretty tough, dude. And there's only like one guy. So my sources tell me is Reeves in Nashville that may be able to take care of them so going one-on-one. But when you're a repeat offender, as he was is, and you take advantage of, mm, that guy's, that's not his game. He's undersized. He's a star. The league's got to protect those guys. And I kind of go back like, I went after stars. I went after Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I But he had you had uh, McSorley. You had Semenko. And a whole bunch of other guys on that Edmonton team that could handle themselves. Mind you, we also had Dave Brown or Don or we Rick Tockett. Um, we had a lot of Craig Berube. So we had our share of tough guys to go along with it. But when you take a guy and you bang him to the ice like that, and you're a repeat offender i have to think that he knew what he was doing and he just just didn't care and that's not the way the league is right now you know there's some yeah these i still they're too expanded they're in phoenix they're in you know they're in florida they're they're still in they're back in winnipeg <laughs> the league's doing well the league's doing well and it doesn't need to sell seats by some guy going cuckoo. Like, I believe I got paid to sell seats. September, October, November, you're up against football season. You're up against uh, uh, college basketball of college football. You know, the NHL could sell seats. So they needed a sideshow. So the freak was me uh, and a bunch of other guys. So I think he should have been suspended a lot longer. And I absolutely think that he th- knew what he was doing when he banged him to the ice. The Rangers had nobody on their roster to defend themselves. And wow, he was a true wrecking ball. But J.D., the general manager, gets fired. The president gets fired. And, you know, Mr. Dolan keeps on Mr. Sather, you know, mm. Glenn's not in New York. I hear he's up in Banff, Canada. So I think they need a president for the Rangers that's there on site, not far away.
0: Well, let me throw this scenario at you. And it's uh, just to illustrate the difference in eras that is currently being played versus your era. Like, let's say uh, we invent a time machine and Tom Wilson is playing in 1981. And let's just say... Carol Vadney shoots the puck on net. Alt Nielsen is where Bushnevich was. Wilson punches Alt Nielsen. Anders Hedberg comes in, like Panarin did. And what happened happened there? What did the Rangers do the next shift? Like to me, I envision that very next shift you come out, Barry Beck comes out. Eddie Johnstone, Nick Fatiu, and hell, we'll put Frank Beaton at center. Well,
1: look, Tommy Laidlaw, um, you know, <laughs> we had we had a lot of boys that can come back at you and go. And, you know, you and and the Flyers did, too. And then it got down to, you know, your, your I want to say now that there's so much depth on the fourth line teams can play all the guys can play everybody you know all the chefs say the shifts are shorter the guys are stronger they're healthier they're not smoking they're not drinking you know you're they're i'm not saying they're better players but i think they're better athletes they're better conditioned now and you know what there's a lot more online guys are playing now till they're 40. We used to be, hey, 10 years and see you later. You're out of the league. Why? You know, no charter planes, burgers afterwards, no healthy regimen, no protein shakes, no, they're athletes now. But guess what? You played four or five years in the NHL, you potentially could set yourself up. We used to go in the locker room and say, Oh, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to move back to so and so Canada and be a police officer like my dad. Or, Oh, I'll own the, I would like to have the general store or just go to be a a fireman or something. Well, or I wanted Daryl Stanley. I want to have a hunting and fishing camp. Guess what? He went back, bought the land with what he made, and he's still, he's doing what he loves to this day. He has a hunting and fishing camp in Northern Alberta. And, you know, big, but they're making money now, like serious money that you can retire on. And, you know, they're real athletes. And I just don't with the fact that he's done it before. I just have to think if I'm looking at him, I'm not cutting them a second chance because I know with me, they just let it go. And look, you go after Marcel Dion. That was wrong. And I got three games. This guy bangs the guy to the. Um, I get I get suspended in the playoffs for going after Marcel Dion. Didn't even hurt him. Maybe caused the ruckus, the most amount of fines. Maybe he, he didn't even get. He didn't even get suspended. Didn't even get suspended. That's that's like ah, and and then, wow, I couldn't believe it. Anytime wow. you bang a guy to the ice, an elbow to the head, a butt, and a stick to the face, you know, uh, I, I truly believe these guys know these guys know it's not one of these one offs and he, sh- he should have been suspended. But the Rangers had nobody even up in the stands paying, you know, paying minimum wage. They would come down and in order to go after him. But to their credit, all the guys dropped their gloves. And you know what? That's the crazy thing is. Would you risk if you were good, like, would you risk really fighting? You know, here's here's a good question for the league to think about. The next game, five players come out on both teams and one team has to put who they're starting and all that. So they know they know now that they're going to go right after these the other five players. On Washington, say the Rangers wanted to, or the, they they knew in their mind, or everybody in the NHL, the league, happened to. Maybe if I'm I'm the fifth guy out there besides the goal the forwards, not the goalie, that get has to line up out there, have no interest in fighting, saying you know, I know what happened, this doesn't make it right, and all of a sudden I get sucker punched and hit and seriously injured. And I know that guy knew he was going to come out after me. I didn't even drop my gloves. And he just came over and started pounding the crap out of me. I would think that the NHL might watch because say that there might be a guy get hurt that one of these days says, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue the league. You knew what you were doing. You had intent. You had malice. You were coming after me. And now I'm hurt. And now you got a concussion or now I'm just like, you know, faces and I'm going to sue you for damages. I mean, they got to watch that that doesn't happen in the league. I know the league likes to police themselves, but (laughs) man, maybe what's happening on the streets of America with guys taking liberties is being happening on the ice now. You know, well, you're getting away with with murder.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, I was more disappointed that the Rangers didn't do that in the, the first game where Wilson did, you know, to me, waiting to Wednesday for retribution. I don't know. It just seemed uh, almost too orchestrated and like, OK, let's fight off the draw. We're just doing this for show. I, I would have rather have seen a reaction in the game. Wilson actually did that, too. I mean, because I know. Oh, the-
1: absolutely. Hey, maybe even if if he was in the box, as soon as he gets out of the box, or if he's not out of the box, players come off the bench at the end of the game, then let's go down. Then, then some skate right over to him right away and address it. Like you're, you're not exiting this building without, you know, me trying to club you. Right. And I, get you,
0: get you. Well, which kind of leads me into the very famous, uh, you've, brought uh, the Marcel Dion situation up because to me in that game, it also illustrated. Now we're talking about the 1981 playoff series with you and the LA Kings, um, which is strange to me that the first round would be LA versus New York, but it was just different. It was a great, it was
1: a great way. It was a great way for the league to go that way. There was a bounce schedule. So we played everybody like four times or whatever. And first played 16, second played 15. And what was really funny was Freddie Sherry used to say, hey, guys, I don't really care about the regular season. Huh. And I was like, whoa, wait, I'm a rookie. You don't care about the regular season. No, I'm going to get everybody that's right here experience, and they're all going to play nobody's going to win the scoring title. Nobody's going to win anything, but we're all g- going to put you in positions that come the playoffs. Then we'll get, tighten it up. Then we'll go to our roster and we'll play and we'll get the momentum like a stretch, like, God, we're going out for a jog. And then the final lap, you know, the bell lap, you turn it on and you get going. So all of a sudden we go into the playoffs with no injuries. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's had a chance to play. And the guys really liked each other; they really did. Uh, and and next thing you know, is we get into the playoffs against LA, and maybe God, they they with the the triple crown line, Deion Taylor and Charlie's name, boy, they had a yeah, they they good team, great team. Um, and we we take them on but maybe they weren't ready for when all of a sudden, you know, the end of a period, something happens. I don't know how I'm on, but all right. If I'm not in the playing on the ice, what can I do to help this team <laughs> go after Marcel Dion? That's crazy. But we did. And same way the Rangers did like Korab or I forget. The, was it chartron back then? I, yeah. I mean, they no nobody came. Nobody really got to me or came after me. Maybe right. because Costopoulos and Laidlaw and Eddie Johnson and all the guys you had mentioned were, you know, were right beside us and ready to go. And then the the Hedberg, the Nielsen, um, the the, the Donny and Dave Malonies or whatever Greshner's could guys could take over and, and play. Um, but after wrestling for 30 minutes, Marcel Dion with me, his tank had to be empty you know, wait, I'm ready to play a game, but I just wrestled for 35 minutes and that never got hit. And then a goalie comes after me and I punch the goalie and then Nikki, Fatio, anybody that has a chance to go back and watch the video, it's, it's pretty funny, but very entertaining at the time too. And I got three games for that. And I never banged anybody's head off the ice.
0: <laughs> well, so, I'm going to try and uh, pull this uh, uh, clip up, but: uh,
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: I'd <laughs> be think, try.: Well, as a king fan, one of the things that I mean, I think people forget how that kind of started initially was uh, I think Korab and Dugay got into a little shoving match, and then Barry Beck and uh, Chartra. Uh, some might say Bubba threw a sucker punch over the ref, and uh, he. Over- oh, that was later.
1: That was that. That was a different. Yeah, and that was a different point. And um, uh, but I, but for me, just to go out and try to grab somebody and say, oh, well, the easiest guy to the, the easiest guy to pick is Marcel Dion. I, I must admit, that's pretty original that no so called and i wouldn't call it tough i would call it sort of like if the guys were saying now uh go pick on you know one of the other players from that side
0: okay i and think we're going to we're going to try this uh here here we go uh, let's see there you are in the corner <laughs>
1: Be careful here with all the teams out of the ice. Oh, we are yeah, we were all to, and Jimmy Jimmy Fox is my friend that goes to and wants to pair up with me, and I was like, "No, no, 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 Jim, that's a this is a bad idea."
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I, I can't be good.
1: Uh
0: Yeah, so, same as the initial. Uh, gathering you had words with hardy and Hoss, uh hardy and uh korab and uh then jim fox is in there trying to uh, i'll assume he's going hey uh ed let's be cool and then uh i want to <laughs> play this next few seconds because you, you look like a shark uh smelling blood now dion oh, i
1: go around the back i sneak around the back yes. door i think yeah
0: all right we're alive hey hit play for a bit here and uh for those of you just listening on apple Podcasts, i appreciate it right now we're i'm refreshing ed's memory with a youtube video of this uh very infamous 1981 playoff brawl so you can go I, on i'll YouTube. tell you it's
1: inc- it's incredible i'll give a shout out to youtube in that man you can't make this stuff go away i don't know if it's. This- Good, bad. But you see the names on the back of some of the players that were around and said, oh, my God, he was there. And then he was over there That team. So you know, we uh, had Dean, Dean Talifis out there who's, you know, I'd call him he, he's a good man by the book. Uh, and, you know, fighting was just like not one of his things, but he was out there and sticking around we came in after those this because it was an hour and we zigzagged we went from one end then down to the zamboni end and in and finally when things had broke broken up or calmed down they're like all right exit exit and we were at the totally the wrong end of the arena because you you get fighting and you you're spinning around and hey, there's something going on over there. Then there's something going on over there. and We're spinning around. Finally, they separated the two teams and we're like, we're at the wrong end of the building. So <laughs> that had to took five more minutes to switch around and go down the other end. And then I remember a bunch of guys being really tired after it. It was just like pull up a chair and face the shower and let the water just run on you because you were exhausted. You were like it was a really good fight or wrestling match, and you was just like, "Oh my god, this is that's incredible." Now I'm going to so,
0: mute uh, the YouTube. And here's up. a funny
1: story: Freddie Chero used to Freddie Chero used to have, God bless him, and it's true, six beers. He had one before warm up, one after warm up, so it'd be between one at the sec- second period won it, uh, went at the third period, um, won it after the game. And then he brought the last six one onto the bus. (laughs) So we're in showering and the beers are there. And Andre Dory says, he's like a five pack there on ice. And, um, he Say, hey, Eddie, these beers are here. here you, you want a beer? And I said, Nah, Andre. They don't touch them. They're, they're Freddie's. He says, Nah, nah. The coach don't drink. The coach <laughs> gotta work. He's gotta play out there. And I, Katsi, oh, I'm telling you, don't. And the next thing you know, he's standing there with a beer, <laughs> and Freddie walked around the corner to grab one. And Andre was there. You were supposed to turn your back and, you know, shower up and <laughs> look so Freddie could sneak a beer and, and have a beer while he figures things out what's going on for the next period. So um, that was a funny story about Andre going, Eddie, I didn't believe you, but the coach does do drink. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does.
0: <laughs> now, so as you're circling around here. Do you out of the corner of your eye see Dion and go, I think this is a good idea?
1: Oh, no, I saw him and I was just I was just being a snake. saying, (laughs) you know what? This this will be pretty this be pretty wild here. You know, oh, that's a good matchup right there. Jay Wells and Barry Beck. Now, that would have been interesting. But both those guys want to be on the ice, but still they want to push and shove and can exhaust each other. Um, the, the funny is number one, I eventually get mixed up with, uh, or is that the backup goalie or the regular goalie? The,
0: no, maybe. Uh, the uh, Mario starred. I... He was the starting goalie. Yeah, that I... game.
1: Oh, okay. I go, I, I punch one of them later on
0: then. Oh, we're going to get that seven. clip up real fast. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's, there's uh, Dugay holding them off, but, uh, you at some point try and circle back to get to Dion.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I make sure I get up against the boards because if you're up against the boards, at least you got, you know, you can see what's coming at you from, because, I you know, they're coming. You know, they're coming. I just went after your best players. Somebody should be, somebody's going to come be coming or do something. But then what easiest way to defend yourself is get your back up against the boards it's not the and now you can see everything from the front. You know, you're not gonna get somebody that says you deserve this, I'm coming after you.
0: Um so it's pretty interesting. Now, did you guys when you went into look the at
1: block- see it started way down there, now oh. it's here, and by the end of it, we'll be way down the other end.
0: Now here's this point. It's lucky weight.
1: I punched this guy with I punched the the other goalie with a um open hand. I just oh. didn't think, think about it. I was like, oh, I'm in enough trouble now. If I ever punch somebody and hurt somebody, I'm going to be really in big dog doo-doo.
0: Because he so, seemed like he was just coming up to you going, hey, man, uh, let's just cool it down. And uh, <laughs> you obviously uh, did not share his sentiments.
1: Yeah, I was just like, well, this would be interesting. <laughs>
0: I like your reaction as soon as you hit him. You get prepared. like You you are like a mortal combat fighter. All right, here we go. (laughs) Yeah. Here comes comes a slap. It's coming. Here we go.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. What what are you doing with me? Yeah, it was another one. Didn't fade like. And now I got two. But at least I got my back up against boards. And then Nikki Fatio comes in somehow. He's over the glass. And he was in his street clothes. Pretty interesting.
0: Well, that's yeah, the scariest that was- thing about this brawl to me is what is yeah, See, there's Nikki
1: Nicky, Nicky for is, is down in there. Oh, there's a guy giving me the finger too. huh? I guess
0: <laughs> I think that was for all of you guys, but, uh, how, um, uh, well, two things about this fight, just from an, I was at this game. I was only 13. I was like, wow, this hockey is the greatest game on earth. Uh, <laughs> Two things. It always bothered me as a King fan that like you mentioned, you know, you went after their star player, maybe the best player in the league at that time. I know Gretzky was just coming in. Uh, but yeah, arguably sure. um Yes. And it didn't seem like any of the Kings minded. Uh like you know versus-
1: No, you know, I think it, I think between um you know when I when I get traded out at, from Uh, So I played in New York, then shuffled off to Hartford, you know, uh, East Coast between Boston and New York still needed some. But once you got to the West Coast and you traveled all those days and nights, I think those guys were like, hey, man, we're playing hockey. We don't have time for all. Save that for the playoffs. You know, we don't need to be. We don't need to be doing all this stuff. Um, and I think I really think that it was in fact that on the East Coast there we could, you know, you could practically pick up the New York if you lived in Philly, you could watch the Rangers play on on cable, or if you lived in Hartford, you can watch a Boston Bruins game or the Ranger game. And and there's these rivalries that just seemed so close. Um that and then when the Unbalanced schedule came in. You only went to um, L.A., what, once a year, twice a year versus four times. Uh, I think that the rivalry started. It was a drive. You know, it's a drive from New York or from Philly to Washington. It's a drive from Philly to the Devils, a drive from Philly to the Islanders, drive to the Rangers, drive, drive, drive or take a, you know, a two hour train. It's really easy to start to un- and play them eight times a year. It's really easy to start on un- liking guys, you know, um, and carry over just and fans get so into it. The Rangers Islanders series, you know, with Pop fan Gillies back in the day in the early '80s between the Rangers and that, they were some really good and the fans were just brutal. It was so bad that Fred Shero said if you weren't if one extra guy would go. Um, dressed for warm ups. And right after warm ups, if he wanted to, he could get a limousine or take a taxi home. You didn't have to stay in the building <laughs> to watch the game. And if you're a healthy scratch, just stay back in Rye, New York. Don't come to this place. You'll get just mauled and yelled at and everything. So it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy
0: stuff. All right, now we're rolling. I, I-, I- think
1: the, the, the game is. The game has changed so much. The TV contracts are big. They want to get them over fast. Um, that, oh my God, that's uh,
0: when <laughs> uh,
1: that was my first suspension.
0: Um, yes, we are Mr. rolling Hospodar right now. On Brian O'Neill. Uh, yeah, right now, this. for you uh, people who can't see on, on Zoom what we're doing, we're watching uh, Mr. Hospodar, uh introduce himself to Mel Bridgman in the corners. <laughs>
1: Well, you know what happened. I went after uh, something. So next thing you know is they put out. Uh, oh, Mel! Britt. I I broke Kenny Linsman's nose. Good for you. Earlier, yeah, yeah. Everybody says. But then, like you said, immediately responded when we were on the ice with Ben Wilson, Moose Dupont. Oh man. Uh, uh, Jack McElhargy, Yeah, and it was like, and we had, well, Barry was out there, but then uh, Davey Maloney didn't belong out there. There was a couple of Smurfs out there. Doug Solomon didn't belong out there. We were out of our league, and they just all just said, you know what, we're going to deal with it. But what's funny here, and you'll see it later in the, as I I got roughed up Kevin Collins for some knucklehead move was that, Kevin was a good guy. Like, I felt that he got in and held me over, and then I was able to get punched because, you know, both referees didn't break it up at the time. But when I'm going off the ice, the trainer's chirping to me, the ranger, chirp, and you go right in between the two, the two benches in Madison Square Gardens to the home bench. So the ranger had his mouth going. And when you go onto the bench, there's like four, six inch lift and then another six inch. So the rep, so the Coach could see over the players and and watch. Well, when he's chirping at me, I make like I'm going to punch him again, just like I did at Lazard. And he steps back and watch this. It looks like I decked him from far away. And that just solidified me. And then everybody came after me. Like right here, there's the there's the and I make like I'm going to punch him and he falls back because he gets scared. He's chirping at me and he falls back. Then you got Dupont. Everybody comes. There was only one guy in the Rangers that came to help me then. Well, there's Mario Meruwa, but it was really um, War- Warren Miller, of fourth line center, that g- came back in. And he was like, he was my roommate, and he said, "No, Ed, all I was going to do is try to get a check from you for the month's rent because before huh. they killed you." <laughs> <laughs> so I started that fiasco there mm, again it, with with. The league knowing that, and if you could get away with doing stuff like that and still get away with it, I don't think that's the hockey. You know, I'm not so. Yeah, I did it. I was over the top, but that's not hockey. That's, that's that takes away from it. But it sure makes sure made hockey fun back in the eighties when some sort of craziness would go. I mean, the Broad Street Bullies sold out every arena they came to ahead of time. You wanted to see um, Davy Schultz, Bob Kelly, um, you know, Big Bird. They all had nicknames back then. It was wonderful. Um, it was wonderful and packed the arenas. Um, so, but I think hockey's come around now that it's got players from all around the world, all throughout, from All of North America, now Florida, Arizona, Dallas, California is represented. It doesn't have to be played like that. A guy shouldn't have to worry about making a living and some wild dog uh, coming along and and getting them. And that's the the tricky, the slippery slope that say the Rangers were on. Now, here's another thing. After something like that happens, does the GM deserve to be fired? Does you know, but I don't know if JD deserved to be fired, nor the president of that. But, you know, this league is tricky. Um, the Flyers I thought had a great team this year and didn't show up for the season. You know, you get it's funny.
0: Well, very like funny. To, to me, I'd like to see like a, almost a mixture of the era that you played in. With you know the the great skill uh, you know that is present in today's game, like you know I'm a Kings fan, you know I watch every game, and like there was a few incidents that uh, you know some of our best players, like we have an 18 year old defenseman out here named Tobias Bjornfort, and uh, one of the uh, I think it was uh, Stevenson on the Vegas Knights elbowed him right in the face. Uh, he, he was knocked out the rest of the game. No King went up to this guy, Stevenson, and be like, hey, man, uh, why don't you do it to us? Uh, so I, I don't like that part of today's game, where there seems to be uh, uh, almost an open invitation for cheap shots, knowing there will be no retribution.
1: Well, I th- and I think the league's got, got to get around to it, because headshots, just like in football, going out. But... There's some sometimes too, it happens so fast, so fast. You can have a guy come and then all of a sudden he thinks to duck, you know, instead, or to get or, and he drops his head and you can't, you just can't do anything about it. And I loved all the old players, the Kurt Giles, the Bobby Bonds of the day that would just go around crashing into people and, you know, you'd see the board shake in a, And the ripple effect around the glass was fun at the old spectrum. Um, But, you know, they're they're made too much money. And when these headshots happen, um, it's it's wrong. And, you know, what I knew what it was doing. But. For crying out loud, guys, if you're in the league six years and you know, keep your head up crossing the blue line. Otherwise, Giles will be coming across or I'll come across and, and wipe you out. And they'd still do it. <laughs> they'd still do it. Um, Keith Acton, I could hit him once or twice a year He'd playing against them. He'd come down. I'd wait. And all of a sudden, he, I knew his move. He could, likes to cut. Keith, you got to give that move up, you know. Uh, It was pretty funny, though, going to Buffalo, I had to go and say I went into the locker room and I had Clark Gillies was there and Clark Gillies knocked my teeth down my throat and broke my jaw. I knocked Mark Napier's teeth out in the playoffs of 85 or whatever. And Mike Ramsey's teeth I knocked out playing against him in Buffalo. So now I get traded there and I'm like. God gosh like I could go in this locker room with all these guys that like we have we have history with so I said I guess you got to clean the you know got to get it out say sorry and we got to be teammates and get over it and move forward so I called Clark and Mark and, and uh, Rams and rammer out and said all right, to you, Mike Ramsey, to you Mark Napier, I apologize for knocking your teeth out. And Clark Gillies, you owe me apology for knocking my teeth down my throat. <laughs> and it was like weird, but we got we got over it. Um not really. You know I mean, I still feel terrible of uh uh on forgiving and receiving, but back then. I had, I had no care in the world. Single guy, had money, had, you know, fame, had that. But, you know, thinking about going on, like, and the league seemed okay with it, you know? They just find you two games. What's that, seven days? Wow. Three games a week? It's nothing. And, um, it was a tax write off, so, and uh most of the teams reimbursed you for your is an expense, so they were looking the other way too. well,
0: um, I'm gonna pull up a fight right now of you and Paul Holmgren
1: uh oh is it the one I won or lost
0: uh, I think uh it was pretty even uh. <laughs> There <laughs> we go. He hits you. You hit him. And- I
1: win one. And then he beats me. He, he beat, I beat him in. In. I think I beat him in New York and he
0: beats me here. And it's like you. Pick one. Well, you got in some shots here. All right. That's pretty. Sorry. Right.
1: I did. I did better. I did better than the other one. Uh, well, I, I, did, I couldn't find that one. I. Than-
0: I looked for that one first, uh, but it, it brings <laughs> to mind my next question. Like before the Gillies fight, you seem to be more of a toe to toe fighter. Like just put your head down and chuck him. Um, w- when you lost, had- to was, uh, and no harm. He was a huge, huge man. Uh, did your fighting style change after the Gillies fight? Were you not scared to the wrong word, but like,
1: you know what he, No, that's good. That's good. Because I you have to be a I don't know some guy maybe they're not, but I never took a boxing lesson never to just went out. Most of my fights came from after uh a hit, a check like it was it seemed like all right, got away, or it was to lift a team in a moment go, you know, if Paul Holmgren's off the ice, he's scoring 25 goals a year and and a guy that's scoring one can take him off the ice. And all our Hedberg and Nielsen and all our Murdoch can all skate around feeling a little bit more comfortable. Then it's a worthwhile trade. It was a worthwhile trade. You know, um, believe me, those a lot of guys are very happy that oh good, Homer's not on the ice now. Because right. not only was he, he was a good all-round player, all round, both physical, put the points up on the board and play. Um that I love the guys like Homer, Al Cord, the guy that played in Chicago, get 180 minutes in penalties and still score 45, 50 goals a year. Probert, you know, another goal scorer, but put up his penalty minutes too. Like those guys were the real deal with Clark Gillies who would fight, but nobody was really stupid enough to want to really fight him. You know? Um.
0: <laughs> well, he mentioned, uh, I, I saw in an interview where he talked about, uh, your fight. He said that you had, um, I think not cheap shot it, but maybe roughed up Mike bossy in the corner. And he's, he mentioned literally chasing you up the ice going, uh, not today, boss, you're going to take on me or something to that effect. Uh, I,
1: now, I, you know what Clark would, if he did then, but I, we got into it the game before and I had the, and I pushed him somehow the the bench was open. I don't know if the guys all came off and we were along the bench and the door to get on and off the ice, the player's bench should open. And I pushed and I pushed him through, got him through it. So now he's down sitting because he fell backwards. There was no boards there. You couldn't see it right by the blue line. And then Herbie Brooks was there and said, let him up, get him up, which was right, you know. And then next game I got it, but you know what? There was such a great Ranger Islander uh, rivalry. It was it was awesome. It was so awesome. You know a funny story about that. So when the the Rangers are selling out, you'd have family come to the garden. You needed tickets. You needed tickets. And so you go down and they couldn't get you any in the building. It's sold out. So what would you do? You go down to the corner and, and meet this scalper, you know, go see Louie, go see, or whatever his name is. And he, what do you need? What do you need? And I said, all right, I need a couple of tickets for family. And how much are they, you know, I wanted to buy them. He said, no, 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 no. You're not going to buy them. Not going to buy them. Uh, first game of the semifinals. First game of the semifinals. I want I want two back. Yeah, hey, I don't have to pay anything. If we don't get to the semifinals, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know. So you'd order your extra tickets. You could get by get by extra tickets if you them for the playoffs. So, you know, okay, I'll do that because I got two. So, but I could, should get at least two more? If somebody wants to come with somebody and watch. So, but I said, ah, oh, I owe Louis these tickets. So the Rangers, when they would sell you the tickets would probably have like a f- family and friends section. Right. So you'd give Louie the two seats, and who does he sell them to? But Islander fans, and they're all saying, you know, Duguay sucks. Beck is this Esposito, so and so, and Mrs. Esposito sitting there, or Davy Maloney's girlfriend sitting there. Family members are there. So the next day we have a meeting in the in the locker room, and. Who's selling, who's selling their tickets? Who's scalping their tickets? None of us laid law. None of of us put up our hands like we didn't scalp any tickets. So we're not. Oh, 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 Louie outside is selling our tickets. That was pretty funny about playoff time. So then you know that like later on, these are fans, friends and families, do not buy them, sell them, and then try to make an extra buck. But it was funny, the guys were furious about it, furious about it. And all the single guys were like, oh well, what did we know? Rookies, you know. You, you gotta make a buck, Ed. Uh <laughs> I didn't. I was save, trying to save a buck and just making a good trade. Thought the guy was like, all right, that's it. But didn't think past him like, oh, he's going to he's going to sell them to Islander fans and then put him in the middle of the wife section. <laughs> 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 so
0: oh, pretty good there. Now, I have a lot of yeah. Ranger fans. Uh, you know, this is going to be a two part interview. There's no way we could get through all this stuff uh, in one part. but um so you play one more season uh, with the Rangers after the Gillies, uh, you know, boxing match. A lot of people want to know, why did you not resign in New York? Did you need a change of scenery? No, no. Uh, what happened was uh, uh,
1: 1979 to 80, great draft. First, Gretzky b- breaks the age limit mold. And then you're allowed to guys that were born in 59 and guys that were born in 60. Guy had a chance to go in and really, truly is probably one of the they said one of the greatest drafts ever because of two years combined in one. When you go by, you know, awards, trophies, games played and all that numbers put up by a single draft year, which was pretty cool. And there was competing against the WHA. So back then, there was, wasn't was a strong players association. Now, there was Mr. Eagleson who ran it and it was his show, but really wasn't run fair and equitable, we'll say, um, because he represented some of these superstars. He'd keep care of the superstars and then, you know, sort of s- steal from the, the new guys and give to the other guys. And eventually you'd get older and then you'd get your payoff, I guess, or paid. But there was no... How much should you get a first round pick get? So the WHA tried to sign me the year before and I stayed back and I had a bad year in Ottawa. I got hurt a couple of times. And then they drafted and they combined the years. But when we were going through our contract, I had an, an agent and then we didn't like what was happening. So Sonny Werblin to asked my dad, he told my dad when he called, if you have a problem. You give me a call and I'll straighten it out. Sonny Wortland was at that time the representative for Golf and Western who owned the team. He was he was he was the man. Um, and so it was bypassing Mickey Keating, the general manager. And if I had in my contract, we 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 went back and forth. My dad made I finally picked up the phone and called Sonny and said, This is what we this is what's wrong with this. Now, Sonny was an interesting man because he signed he ran the Jets and he signed Joe Willie Namath and he liked he was he he was an entertainer. His wife was a Rockette and he loved the Joe Willie Namath. He loved the Esposito's. He loved the Duguay. He loved the Broadway show type thing. He As long as you performed on the ice. And he loved it. Didn't care if you were there a short time. He enjoyed a show. So. We are. We went through, I got some money up, a little bit more money from him, but what he really gave me was if I played out my contract after three years, I had signed a three-year contract, I could be a free agent with no compensation to any other team. And all it took was a little bit of writing on a piece of paper, and you stick it on the contract as an addendum, and I was free. So I really wanted... Some a little bit of more money was we're not talking about, but it was enough that and I really wanted I played out my third year, went to training camp and they said they would get the contract done. Well, then I guess I wanted a little bit too much because then they traded me. I signed the contract and I was immediately traded up to Hartford and I had just taken a two year deal, but it was good. So I take and I play out two years in Hartford. And I don't want to return to Hartford. Don't want to return to Hartford. My dad, I'm an American. I was born in Bowling Green, Ohio. My parents are from Pennsylvania. So they're returning home. Uh, you have to work for Campbell Sue Campbell's is, Camden is right across from Philadelphia. So my parents could watch me play. I was attending uh, Villanova uh, in the summertime uh, to go back to school. Uh, and I wanted to play with the Flyers. I really wanted to play with the Flyers. So I played out my contract in Hartford. And on the magical day, I was going to school at Villanova. But I had the day that it happened, I went over in Morristown, New Jersey, uh, near Cherry Hill. My dad lived two blocks away from Bobby Clark. So I just walked on over to his house when I was a free and knocked on the door and said, hey, on, on Monday, I'm going to be a free agent. It, but he looked at me like, hospital? Yeah, what are you doing here? I said, my parents live two blocks away from you and I uh, want to be a flyer. And you're the new GM. So he said, come on in. Like a beer? And I said, no, nah, I got to get home to eat you know, Sunday <laughs> dinner. But I wanted to come over and tell you I'm a free agent. And he said, well, have your lawyer call me, Larry Kelly. So I go back to Villanova into the dorm. Larry calls him on Monday morning, Monday at one o'clock, he phones me back up, but he says, we got a deal. You're a flyer and became a flyer and kept that. So now fast forward, I play two years. I signed a two year contract with Philly, but I get, I get traded. um, I get, I get traded in the middle of the season. And Lou Nanny doesn't look at my contract and he wants to give me a two-way contract. And if he doesn't sign me to a new contract, I become a free agent all over again. So I don't say, I just tell him, that's not what we want. This is what we want. And the day comes and, he, and I don't have a signed contract. I walk right back over to Bobby Clark's house, knock on the door again. Hi, I'm back. Huh. Um, you guys got knocked out of the playoffs this year. And I told you when we traded, I was still good in the locker room for everybody. And um, I thought I could help the team. And I came back and we made another run at the Stanley Cup. We lost that year in seven. But because I had free agency at the end of a contract, I bounced around a lot. It was helpful because I found that although I was a marginal player, I could help a team. I was good in the locker room, good with the guys, practiced hard, kept my nose clean, although I did get in trouble with – you know, on the ice, never anything off the ice, never late, never broke, and that. And um, I bounced around mainly because of that free agent clause that it allowed me to go to another team, get a little bit more money, but always remain, with the exception of the two Hartford years there, uh, our teams were pretty, pretty competitive. And I went to Buffalo. That was just a shuffle off the Buffalo. I think uh Ted Sader thought I could help out with some of the younger guys there. And, um, but that was a short lived My my career was over and that was probably thinking just, I was just worn down. And um, after getting kabung by uh, uh, for another day, a Stasny with a shot to the head, the league did nothing about it. I knew my days were pretty numbered and I'd hit 10 years. And that's pretty good for if you're going to play, fight, being all that stuff, you get 10 years out. That's pretty good. That's
0: pretty good. Do you think the league looked at you, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the Stasny cross check, uh, you know, like, okay, this is the guy who uh, had a, when you were in Hartford, you had a pretty uh, vicious elbow against Jan Eriksson. And uh, you know, uh, I'm going to play a, a clip right now of you. um and my favorite part about this next clip I'm going to show you is if you watch it with the Flyers announcers, it says "In Hospodar with a good check," and then you go over to Sam Rose and same play, uh, cheap shot by Hospodar. Uh, This is when um, you introduce your stick to the back of Mr. Greshner's neck. Uh, You're recently. So here we go. We'll play. We'll let it roll. As they say, as the kids say right here. Bam.
1: (laughs) Oh, with Gresh. Yeah. And here, you know what? That's how sick. That's how sick I was. Ronnie Greshner is a super nice guy and I like him. But whether whether it was Ronnie Greshner, whether it was Duguay, whether it was Barry Beck, I got under their skin and I I think I took it away from them. Now, if that's George McPhee, is is that George in the fight? Now, here's a great story. Great story about this one. He punches me and I have a tooth that was at that posted in. And that tooth cracked. But when Clark Gillies beat me up, and he hit me! He hit me over the head, hit me in the eye. He cut me. So I thought, all right, I'll duck my head. He'll punch me in the helmet. He came in with an uppercut, and his fist fit perfect, up, over, and down. So four teeth broke perfectly off my jaw and were in the middle of my mouth. So they put me to sleep, pull it out, wire me shut for eight weeks. Mentally, you got to get over that. That's what really hurts. So, so now I'm. <laughs> Go to the flyers and I'm gonna fight again, but I always wear a mouth guard. And George hits me with a punch and cracks that post. So one tooth is in the middle, and I can't get it out. Uh, I, I can't break it or do anything. So we go in the locker room, pack crochet. I to get it out. I'm not going back out on the ice. Without a mouthguard in, but I'm just—I think a mouthguard is so. Even though you're exposed, no play. Get it out, get it. I said I'll get something to get it out. Stay right here. So I leave the trainer's room. I walk out. I go in the skate sharpening room and I find a pair of pliers or set a set of pliers. Go marching back. Lay on the lay on the bed or whatever they have there where they stitch you up, and give them the pliers. He said, "What?" I said, "Crack it, crack it, just crack it, just pull, the, get it to the, out of my mouth." So, Pat gets up, straddles me, Sudsy the trainer and Turk Evers are holding my legs down. Keenan comes in the room, wanting to know and looks at Croce holding the pair of pliers. And the dentist said, oh, "Nothing." You come to the chair, and I said, "Well, get out of here. You don't want to be part of it. And crochy thing." Puts it on my tooth and just gives it a quick little nudge, and he's got got the tooth, the post, and everything is all out. Put the mouth guard in, and go back out and play. Um, that was from that fight right there. The, the famous pulling my tooth with a with a pair of pliers to go back out onto the ice. And George oh. McPhee with the left. He was a lefty there. Tough, tough, tough. George McPhee. What a great competitor too. Not doing bad too poorly as a GM either.
0: No, I liked how he, uh, you know, he was the one who went out and got Ryan Reeves, who was, uh, like we talked about in the beginning, probably the only guy outside of uh, the guy the Kings had, Curtis McDermott, to address Mr. Wilson's attitude problem. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So I I know we only have a few minutes left. And like I said, I, I would be honored to have you back for part two.
1: Yeah, no, no, this is good. I mean, it all depends. Maybe you'll get back that nothing was interesting, but funny behind the scenes that that was the fight that George busted my one tooth and that was already dead. So it had to be come out anyway. And next thing you know, we had it pulled by the pliers. I had a um, the doctor call me the next, you know, when he saw me, that was, I'm sorry. That was very unprofessional. I was like, what are you talking about i wanted it done and i understood you couldn't do it i was going to get it done it's, you're going to take it out anyways so there was no harm it was already cracked but i wasn't going back out in the ice i tell you it's amazing how a little piece of plastic i think can save you you know so much so much uh from an injury standpoint not only num- number one, if you get your teeth knocked out, it makes it easier to find them because they're right <laughs> there in it. <laughs> and then number two, I think it saves a lot of concussions and all that stuff from the jaw not getting twisted around. But uh, Well,
0: this will uh, be a good uh, subject to close on because it's without a doubt the number one question. ever. I've gotten this question from at least 30 different Ranger fans. Uh, now, I'm going to play this clip, and then we're going to get into it. But it seems like after your tenure in New York, you and Bubba Beck had a uh, a contentious relationship. I'm going to play this clip. Uh, I believe it's from the same game that you fought McPhee. Now, uh, this is when Ron Sutter and Bubba bump it's a little, uh, little standoff, and then you come flying in like a, a wrestler off the top rope. Well, you yeah. all right. Here's getting back to
1: your point. Ron Sutter, he's a pit bull. What how he's not very big or anything? Barry and I were roommates. We're roommates. When I was a healthy scratch, you know, I would order tires for his car, <laughs> you know, because I had hours. I didn't have to do anything. But that was still back in Colorado. But if you could trade. Or take off having to hospital take a Barry Beck, the captain of their team, off the ice. Would you do that trade? Would you get them all messed up? All that call him out, call them was, call him this, this, that, and the other thing, and get them all f- furious. And he knows he can kill me, but then can he stay disciplined enough? Not to get in the penalty box and help our team. Well, I would do that. The Flyers would let me do that trade all day long. And you know, Ronnie Sutter, believe you me, or the Richie, any of those Sutter boys that played in the show, um, Daryl, all of them, they were they were tough as nails. Now Ronnie was playing he played, that's Richie, maybe Richie, Ronnie, they doesn't matter they were, they were, <laughs> we used to call them the coyotes, they would just stay at, nip at your heels and just keep nagging you and nagging you and nagging you and wear you down but for me whether it was with Hartford, whether it was in Philly, with the Rangers and that it was great because it's like, wait a minute I, I used to go out for dinner with you guys, or wait a minute, I was going to uh andrews i lived in andrews hedgesburg house for two weeks and then go go after him like i was just like something was some wiring wasn't right and i think it was just because it was single foot loose could be crazy and uh it was part of the show it was part of the show well
0: i know that was, it was cool. a- there was a mic uh by the uh now I'm gonna have to use some salty language uh this is Barry's words, not mine uh there must have been a mic uh up top to catch the uh the checks and the the noise that the comes from the pucks and the check setting and I've always wondered and I know this is almost forty years ago, but in this clip man, <laughs> i've, I've watched this matter. I've watched this video like the zabruder film uh Barry Beck says to you, and I quote directly, uh, fuck you, fuck you, you douchebag. You're nothing but a chicken shit backstabber. I'll just have George kick your ass. Do you remember what your response was to these uh, words?
1: Oh, no, and he probably used to say, Oh yeah, you know what? When I was up, I used to turn on the water for him and said, hey, just don't let it overflow. We used to like to take a bath. So I was (laughs) like, I'm finished in here, man. I'm not showering anybody. You need to take a bath. That's that's kind of weird. But I would used to say, but on the other side, he can call me whatever he wanted because and I have to thank him. When I was his roommate, I it, it was great. I would, you know order tires for his cars and then he just say charge everything to the room (laughs) oh right all the meals and everything were great it was kind of fun it was just can you imagine that that it could be such a disturber like playing three years with these guys knowing them and then going 60 miles away and just being a thorn in their side you know Um, and this is like after the the Herbie Brooks turned them into the Smurfs, you know uh, that were small, fast, and didn't, and they and then they beat the Flyers that were at that time were too big. But you know what? I I had a job, and I could, and I was single, uh, and I and I did it well. I was a good shit disturber.
0: Oh, you were the best. I mean, like,
1: yeah, and and guys talking to you that way. Well, guess what? That's just the the Latin that guys use when they're when they're on the ice. You know, you're 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 going crazy. You think it be you think it promotes something, but sometimes you get in the guys go like that and say, oh, I've got him, I got him right where I want him. He, he's lost his cool, you know. He's he's thinking about me. He's looking. He's looking. Is he thinking about playing the puck, making the pass or I want to get kill hospital. Right. And if they're thinking about killing me, that great, wonderful. Um, it means some, something else can happen. Something else can go on.
0: Well, I think most so, fans want to cool. know. Uh, let's just say you walk out of your home and you go. I was going to say 7-Eleven, but say you want to go to the local Wawa and uh Barry Beck is in there. Do you say hello to him, do you hug, do you be like well passive aggressive, how you doing or did you not talk to him at all?
1: No, I absolutely would acknowledge him wow. and and say hello. I, I mean, you know, there was I didn't hang out with Barry. I mean, he was he was, lived in the city, um, went over to his house or his apartment a couple of times, thought it was really cool. You know, we'd call up a friend and blink lights and be 10 blocks away in a high rise or whatever. And you could see the light flashing on who he's talking to in New York or whatever. But no, um, you know, a lot of times there's, you know, Esposito, Ronnie Duguay, uh, Gresh and Barry lived in the city and then they were doing that. And then you had your Hedberg and Nielsen and Davidson and the certain married family guys in Scarsdale. And then you had a great, a great group of young bachelors, Laidlaw, Kostopoulos, myself, Davy Silk, you know, a uh, group that were having fun, but we were a, pretty solid, tight knit group though. Right. Um, just, we got to get to the rink. You have to do your stuff. And I think that's, um, the key to a good team is let it, when they, when guys leave the rink, you know, I want them to be responsible. I want them to be accountable, but maybe one of them wants to have a, you know, do something different than you just respect that just respect that it's all about once they come to the locker room and once they perform on the ice, do they care? Do we care about each other and do we know where North is Who we want to play for not saying, Oh, if I go to Hartford and play Hedberg and Nielsen, sure they made big bucks, but other guys, maybe Pierre LaRouche, had performance bonuses on it. So he wanted to get his 50 goals. It would be better. way, bad. Pierre, just, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And then he score 50 goals and be all excited or astounding. You know, we don't need to know that. You know, we want to win as a team and take some of these personal things out of it. And that was nice with the Rangers there. We were, we were all playing and guys were treated, I think, really well there. And it's just that when I left, I disregarded those friendships. And when it comes now, I sit down with Davey Maloney, I sit down with Tommy Laidlaw and all those guys and just say, hey, you're not doing anything different than what you did when you were on RT. And just now we're getting (laughs) so mad at what you do. Right. It's like, okay, I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job, you know? uh it was fun it was fun Uh, well i'm up against the clock here and i hope uh somebody liked something i had to give somebody a good story or oh my god
0: there will definitely be a part two i mean obviously we want to talk about the uh claude lemieux situation um, (laughs) several of your other fights we didn't get to get into uh But I just from all Ranger fans, Flyer fans, if there are any Hartford Whaler fans left, uh, I I don't know what to call you. Boxcar, Mr. Hospital, Mr. Boxcar. uh, Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, thank you just on a personal note for making me want to watch hockey. And uh, we'll talk soon. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
1: All right. Good day, everybody. Keep your head up.
0: Especially if you're playing. Bye, (laughs) Ed. Thanks.